0: Another hour of torturing you all with my Slavic accent. I'm learning uh, the Southern English uh, accent though. As yesterday uh, demonstrated how would I start my sermon, I would say, if you got your Bible and uh, you can turn with me to Jonah, the book of Jonah, we will be uh, reading selected passages. The book of Prophet Jonah is one of the most famous in the Bible. Almost everyone knows it. Kids know it. This is the most interesting story that captures the minds of kids in Sunday school and camps. So what if not only kids but adults also Feast on these truths, which will be a great blessing to us too. Even if you are, if you have heard these truths many times, I hope that another study will help affirm what you have heard before and get back to reflecting about them. It is very beneficial for all of us to meditate in our hearts on these very useful and wonderful Truth about God dealing with his children and that would be my emphasis this morning. But beyond being well known, Jonah is our favorite prophet, isn't he? This is our favorite prophet because he represents our lives. Lives that aren't always characterized by obedience to Christ. And much to our regret, like Jonah, we often choose to learn things the hard way. So I call this message, Our Favorite Minor Prophet Redirected. And we will be reading several verses from this book. By the way of introduction, this book is different from other prophetical books. In this book we see not so much the prophecy itself, as Jonah's life, uh, whose name means dove, uh, those moments when he didn't want to obey God. So the prophetic message of Jonah is not as as emphatic in this book as his experience with God. Jonah doesn't have extensive sermons written. It is rather a story about the life of one prophet, a colorful, iridescent story. Jonah's ministry took place during the reign of Jeroboam II. Oddly enough, the land experienced relative calm and prosperity. Uh, this time disposed the people to relax. And Jonah served uh, during that carefree time when there was a general apostasy with all the ensuing consequences. However, his book is practically not connected with what was happening at that moment in Israel. His message is addressed to the Ninevites. Nineveh was the capital of Assyria, an empire northeast of Israel that lasted about 300 years, from 900 to 600 BC. Assyria was the empire that eventually put end uh, to Israel. The northern kingdom when in 722 BC, Shalmaneser V seized Samaria, and Sargon II, uh, who took the throne in Assyria the same year, carried about twenty-seven thousand from Israel, replacing them by some Babylonians, uh, Babylonian and Syrian settlers. That would happen about uh, eighty years after Jonah's ministry. The remainder of Assyrian Empire was crushed in the Battle of Carchemish in 60C or 605 BC. And uh, yes, it was uh, crushed by Babylonians and Babylon took over. So, so basically, Jonah was sent to Nineveh to preach to Assyrians. I will touch on three critical points of the story and I'm done first. We see Jonah the fugitive. He doesn't want to preach to Assyrians. He says no. He has his objections and he just flees. Jonah flees from God who sent him for a mission and he didn't want to fulfill it. Second, we see Jonah the penitent. Jonah is brought to repentance and does the job commissioned to him. And third, we see Jonah the unmerciful being dealt with and Jonah's heart is being treated deeper. So first, we have God's word to Jonah. We have God's mission to Jonah. Then we have Jonah's reaction to God's word. Jonah responds, not in a proper way. By the way, the whole book is uh, built on two words, two messages of God to Jonah. This is the structure of the book. Twice, God uh starts speaking to Jonah first in the first chapter now the word of the Lord came unto Jonah the son of Amittai saying then again reboot in the third chapter and the word of the Lord came unto Jonah the second time saying in both cases there is a word of God to Jonah in both cases there is a certain reaction of Jonah and in both cases God has a certain reaction back to Jonah And some explanations. The entire structure of this book is built around this. Twice God's word. Twice Jonah's reaction. And God responding to Jonah each time. So chapter 1 verses 1 through 3. We read. Now the word of the Lord came unto Jonah the son of Amittai saying. Arise go to Nineveh that great city and cry against it. For their wickedness is come up before me. But Jonah rose up to flee unto Tarshish from the presence of the Lord and went down to Joppa. And he found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare thereof and went down into it to go with them unto Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. Well, uh, verse 1 first. And, uh, and, and verse 2. Uh, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry against it, for their wickedness is come up before me. Nineveh, was, Nineveh has reached the point where the direct and immediate intervention of God is needed. And God determines to send Jonah at this point in history. His word to Jonah was, go and preach against Nineveh. The command was, preach against, cry against it. It was not a call to repentance it was a proclamation that they would be punished. But Jonah rose up to flee unto Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. The exact location of this ancient city, Tarshish, is impossible to determine, since there are several places with a consonant name in the Mediterranean, which were the sources of medals for the Phoenicians in Tyre. Uh, one of the versions is the southern coast of Spain, the Phoenicians... Uh, had reached the Iberian Peninsula. Uh, Some believe that the modern city of Cadiz uh, was Tarshish in antiquity. By the way, at a distance of 155 miles from Cadiz, there is a small village in the south of Spain called Tarsis in the province of Huelva in Andalusia. Another common version is the island of Sardinia. It is closer than Spain, but still far away from Nineveh, from from uh, Joppa, if Tarshish was in one of these places usually Spain is referred to uh, then the distance from Israel to Tarshish was several times greater than the distance to Nineveh. Jonah really began to run far away. Whatever the case may be, Tarshish was west uh, of Israel and Jonah fled across the sea in the opposite direction from where he was sent. But Jonah rose up to flee unto Tarshish from the presence of the Lord, and went down to Joppa, and he found a ship going to Tarshish, so he paid the fare thereof, and went down into it, to go with them unto Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. Jonah's task was to go to Nineveh, the capital of a state hostile to Israel, Uh, he had to undertake a journey that would take up to, up to three months approximately. Not a safe journey to a country which Jonah disliked so much. But Jonah had his objections, we have already said, to the sovereignty of God. God who wanted to save those people and, uh, Jonah said, I don't, I don't want those people to be saved. First, they were Gentiles. The practice of preaching to the Gentiles was not so familiar to Jonah. It was established later. Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, go there, go tell Tyre, go tell Sidon. It was an unusual assignment in times of Jonah. His national dignity as a Jew was wounded. Israel, instead of being a blessing to all the nations of the earth, quite quickly rooted in his own pride uh, exclusivity, uh, very clearly separating himself from other people, and indeed, other people were pagans, and they worshipped idols, and uh, God punished them, but God never allowed Israel to be proud of it, to cultivate, concede that they were so good. On the contrary, God repeatedly said, no, this is not because you are great, you are the most insignificant, You are the smallest nation at that time. Uh, The issue with many believers is that knowing God, they gradually begin to perceive their position before him as some kind of their own merit and begin to oppose God. Some sinners are considered by certain people to be more unworthy of hearing the gospel than others. Now, the second reason was why Jonah didn't want to preach to Ninevites. The second reason was that Jonah was not ignorant of the atrocities committed by the Assyrians. I don't want to see those people saved. I want to see them dead, punished. The Assyrians were the most terrible neighbor of the ancient Jews. Their military tactics were all one of the most brutal in history the most perverted tortures were considered normal in Assyria. They performed such tortures that the next city would know what awaited them if they did not submit, uh, gouging out eyes, pulling uh, pulling ropes through perforated lips and chins, uh, impaling, burning children, uh, flaying, decapitating heads on, uh, on poles, cutting off body parts, all these disgusting inventions were a common process towards the uh, towards the nearest nations some of the assyrian soldiers couldn't bear what they had done and had nervous breakdowns some residents of cities besieged by the assyrians committed suicide knowing that they would be subjected to unbearable tortures when they surrendered the city these were the people to whom Jonah was sent to preach. And it is understandable why Jonah didn't want to go there to plant a church. So he goes he goes in a, a completely different direction to Joppa. Jonah was running away from God. Jonah, being a prophet, runs away in the other direction. He goes to Joppa, buys a ticket. He consciously chooses to run that far. He paid money. He consciously he pays money to see him. Many people pay to see him. This is not a random choice. He chooses the farthest point, Tarshish. There is nowhere nowhere else to go. If there was an opportunity to move further, Jonah would probably go there. He goes to Spain not because the disobedience is over, but because the flights are over. Nowhere else to go. A man in disobedience will never stop until God stops here. Then we see God starting dealing with Jonah. Then we see God stopping Jonah. He allowed him to, to begin his trip. He allowed him to buy the ticket to board on the ship. But then he style, uh, starts his conversation with Jonah. He sends him a storm. God shows his displeasure. God shows his anger. Great wind. The ship was already to, uh, was ready to crash. All this is God's signal. God shows Jonah and all the people right there in the ship, I'm not pleased because there is a person who is doing something that is not pleasing to the Lord. The mariners got scared. Everyone was stirred up. Events like this don't happen every day. They understood that something was wrong, that this was an this was an unusual storm, everyone starts praying to his own God. They begin to throw away their wear, suffering unnecessary losses. This is what the calamity of our disobedience brings, we we lose. Uh, Sin may bring big losses, not only to the one sinning, but also to those who surround him. Jonah was suffering, he was losing his days. He was losing his health. He was losing his opportunities. But those sailors had to suffer because of Jonah's sin, too. A wife or a husband may be a blessing to you. But a wife or a husband may also ruin your life. Jonah continues uh, his resistance to God. Instead of coming to repentance, he sleeps. Jonah continues to run from God. He doesn't repent he decided not to deal with the issue as if closing his eyes would solve something as if not uh, showing up to court would help in the case he continues to resist God he doesn't pray, he doesn't repent and ironically pagans come to Jonah and tell him to pray pray to your God it should have been vice versa Jonah should have, say, uh, should have said boys I am God's minister I, I will pray for you all I also urge you to pray with me to the true God. Instead, pagans tell him, maybe you should try to pray. Instead, the unbelievers tell him, listen, you must pray too. God from different sides is trying to bring Jonah to his senses. Jonah is still resisting. God is calling his attention. But Jonah resists, even when he confesses to the sailors that he is deliberately disobedient. Disobedient. Even uh, here he doesn't repent. Instead he says, just throw me overboard. Uh, he doesn't repent. Even later, in the belly of the great fish, Jonah bends the same line as before, and only on the third day, uh, day did he pray. Seems like he's trying to be a tough guy, strong-willed and physically hard, as to survive in the belly of whatever fish it was. Uh, some say it might have been the shark Megalodon, sharks can swallow an entire man, and these sharks, I mean, uh, can swallow an entire man, and sharks can also control their digestive processes. Uh, to survive, we are saying, to survive among dead stinking fish and not go crazy. Now, Jonah confessed that the mess owed to his disobedience, verses 9 and 10, and he said unto them, I am in Hebrew, and I fear the Lord the God of heaven, which hath made the sea and the dry land. Then were the men exceedingly afraid, and said unto him, Why hast thou done this? For the men knew that he fled from the presence of the Lord, because he had told them." The problem for many Christians is the gulf that exists between correct theology and practice. Jonah says, I fear God. God created the sea that is trying to swallow us up. God created dry land to which we are so eager to land. Jonah was a theologian, a good theologian. He knew God. He knew the doctrine. He knew why this was happening. He knew that God is omnipresent, that God is omnipotent. But Jonah made the decision at that moment not to live by what he knew. Jonah decided to resist God. Many believers are in the same danger when they know much about God but slide into the life independent of God and His Word when they can tell a lot about, about God to others, uh, God's attributes, deductions of grace, but themselves stand aside from God's ways. It isn't the best testimony of faith, is it? How many times do you hear a mocking non-believer remark of Christians why hast thou done this? How is it that you are a believer? Read the Bible. You know the Bible. And violate the principle that you are striving to affirm. Whatever the case, the mariners throw off Jonah from the ship. It seems like they even converted to God as you read the first chapter. Even the weakest testimony can be used by sovereign God for salvation. And uh, let's just conclude this section, that we see Jonah running from God, not wanting to obey, and we see that Jonah several times had a chance to stop. The very fact of the storm, the sailors uh, frightened and scolding Jonah, telling him, why aren't you praying? Then Jonah himself vocalizes what is really happening, and he continues to resist preferring to die at sea here we have jonah rebellious here we have jonah running jonah resisting now let's also take a look at jonah's repentance he repents we have also jonah the the uh, penitent the second chapter is about god's mercy it's about god's love and goodness and patience God shows mercy to his servant Jonah, and restores him to ministry. Our loving God is interested not only in the mechanism of his mission to work, but the, the, the details that he lovingly built into this mechanism also work. God's approach to Jonah was not that this part, uh, this bolt or nut became a, Unusable. Well, throw it off and replace it with another one that is more suitable, newer, stronger, more tractable. Uh, that would be just better. God shows his mercy and patience to Jonah so that not only the engine, but every detail dear to him, originally built into it, does its job. Because God loves his children. And this is a great consolation for us that failure is not final. Peter denied Christ. He didn't deny uh, deny him once. He didn't deny him twice. He denied Jesus three times. And what does the angel say to the women at the tomb? But go your way. This is Mark 16:7. But go your way, tell his disciples and Peter and Peter that he goes before you into Galilee. There shall ye see him. As he said unto you. Christ asked Peter three times. "Lovest thou me. Once per each denial. Feed my sheep. When Peter preaches at the day of Pentecost. Three thousand people turn to Christ. Failure is not final. There is another chance. Who is that Pharisee. Who said that there is no other chance. This book is filled With mercy and goodness of God. This is the book of the grace of God. God not only spared spared Jonah's life. God also restored him to the mission. God not only allows Jonah to leave. But subsequently gives him the same commission as at the beginning. And Jonah returns to the preaching ministry. This is God's grace. Then Jonah prayed unto the Lord his God out of the fish's belly. This is chapter 2. Three days and three nights have passed since Jonah fell into the belly of the fish, and only on the third day did he pray. He resisted. He didn't repent immediately. It may seem that in such a situation, when you are in the fish's belly, uh, there is nothing left to do but praying, praying, and again praying. And uh, Jonah only on the third, pray, uh, the third day begins to pray. Along with, the, with this obstinacy of Jonah, we see God's grace and patience. God is waiting for Jonah's repentance. God had to stop the fish's digestion so that Jonah would not die and be able to pray. God's love for this man is amazing. God is using different tools on this rebellious heart to break it. God brings Jonah to the point where he realizes that he can cannot uh, can no longer resist. That the fish's teeth didn't chew him. That in the belly in this terrible, sickening place he is still alive and Jonah's heart eventually is broken. Each of us uh, has different points of brokenness. One stern look is enough for some and he will immediately understand everything. But others are affected by harsher means. Otherwise they continue to push the issue. The fact of the matter is this. The sooner the contrition comes, the less it will cost you. Jonah's way to submission cost him a lot. The sooner this contrition comes, the less it will cost to us. Jonah needed to cry out to God even when God sent him to Nineveh. He should have done this. We don't know whether Jonah had an initial dispute with God or not, whether he objected in prayer before embarking on the journey to Tarshish, but praying that God would help his heart to embrace God's will and do it uh, and do it would have cost him much less than the point where he prayed from the big fish's valley. Coming to the point of brokenness, the point of contrition, Jonah finally began to cry out to God. Verse four Then I said, I am cast out of thy sight, yet I will look again toward thy holy temple. Ironically, I am cast out of the sight. Ironically, Jonah says that now he gets what he had fought for. At first he tried to flee from the presence of God, didn't he? Now he gets it. Now he realizes, he realizes what it is to be in darkness and hopelessness. Uh, verses 5 and 6. The waters come past me about, even to the soul. The depths closed me round about. The weeds were wrapped about my head. I went down to the bottoms of the mountains. The earth with her bars, was about me forever. Yet hast thou brought up my life from corruption, O Lord my God. We often talk about the terrible experience of Jonah in the belly of the fish. But the experience of a drowning person is no less frightening when water tries to penetrate the body. Throughout the body, and Jonah probably uh, floundering with his arms and legs realized that only a moment separated him from death. Verse seven: When my soul fainted within me, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came came in unto thee, into thine holy temple. Now here Jonah finally brought his theology into harmony with practice. He remembered the mercy. He remembered the goodness and love of God by praying and being sure that his prayer was heard. God heated Jonah's heart to such an extent that it finally was conquered. It was broken. Jonah was brought to his breaking point to the contrition. This, by the way, distinguishes believers from non-believers. No matter how much you add to a non-believer... His heart doesn't contrite. The believer, yes, can cross certain lines. The believer can go too far. But still he comes to contrition. Verse 9. But I will sacrifice unto thee with the voice of thanksgiving. I will pay that, that that I have vowed. Salvation is of the Lord. Gratitude is one of the signs that God's grace is at work in our souls. Jonah thanks because he understands that he doesn't deserve anything. He doesn't deserve to live. He doesn't deserve to breathe. He doesn't deserve to pray. He doesn't deserve to be, to be heard. It's all by the grace of God. And verse 10, And the Lord spake unto the fish, and it vomited out Jonah upon the, uh, upon the dry land. God told the fish to throw out Jonah, not just somewhere in the middle of the sea, on the fragments of something and then get to the land on your own. It would be an incomplete salvation. God brought him to land. God's salvation is complete, is perfect. God's grace puts us on dry land. God gave deliverance to Jonah after his prayers. prayer. Pray, brothers and sisters, if you are in trouble, if you don't feel dry land under your feet, If you are in a hopeless state, pray. Jonah disobeyed God. Jonah ran from God. But at the end of the day, Jonah is at the same point, at the same mission, at the same beginning. But having come to it the hard way. It cost him a lot. He eventually repents. But he wasted his days. He wasted his joy. He wasted his health. Some suggest that Ninevites were frightened by Jonah's look after the effects of digestive juices. Whatever the case, the sooner you submit to God's will, the sooner you come to the point of contrition, the less expensive it will be for you. So we have Jonah running, we have Jonah repenting, and we also have Jonah's unmerciful heart being dealt with. We almost skip the third chapter, which is about God's mercy to the Ninevites. We see a miracle there. God is sought by people from Jonah, uh, whom Jonah thought should be the last in line for mercy. But Jonah's short and unattractive sermon turned out to be surprisingly very effective. Jonah didn't dance hip hop there. He didn't make a Christian tattoo on his leg. And still, his ministry had a tremendous impact. A whole city, a large capital, people began to repent and mass. Amazing things are happening. When, when else was it that all the people repented at once? That's a miracle. We must always seek God's mercy and salvation for people who are around us. Whatever a person may be, As long as his or her heart is beating, he still has time at which he is invited to come to to God. The book of Jonah teaches us that God loves people and that we must be willing to be God's instruments to go and reach those whom God has prepared to receive him. We need to adopt this mindset that the Christian's goal is to reach these people and be God's tool for saving people who may be mired in sins, very much remembering that nothing is impossible to God. Now Jonah went uh, to preach verses 3 and 4, chapter chapter 3. Uh, read, so Jonah arose and went unto Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now, Nineveh was an exceeding great city of three days' journey. And Jonah began to enter into the city a day's journey. And he cried and said, Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. We see a change in Jonah. He repented. He really changed his behavior. His repentance was manifested not only in prayer, but also in practice after prayer. Often people, when they repent... uh, Think that it is enough to admit sin. Just to say, I'm sorry. But obedience is essential. Bring forth, therefore, fruits meet for repentance. Matthew 3, 8. A broken heart is expressed in an act of obedience. We see the genuineness of Jonah's repentance. Because once he got to the dry land, he didn't try to take another flight somewhere else to escape from Nineveh. Uh, nor pretend to be sick or whatever he really goes to preach to Nineveh the capital whose country kept the whole region in fear and Jonah boldly preaches to those people his, me- his message was quite uh, bold Paul, Paul, Apostle Paul said that he was ready to preach in Rome the political, economic, military center of the world he knew Nineveh was no less crazy idea But Jonah goes to preach fearlessly because he has changed his mind. He has has changed his behavior. There was a brokenness in him. He really understood that he had to go. And if he doesn't go, he's in trouble. Often God needs to lead us through difficult troubles, through trials, just so that we become tools in his hands. God wants you to be a tool in his hands. And he achieves brokenness in your heart. Jonah learned his lesson this time. Obeyed and went to the mission. But this is not the end of the story. He had issues in his heart. We have the fourth chapter there. We have the chapter where God, like a dentist, had to drill these this canal more to clean this nerve again in order to pull out the remnants there there are still issues in jonah's heart jonah preaches to nineveh nineveh repents as jonah preaches but this is not the end of the story it turns out that nineveh's repentance upsets jonah it turns out that the mercy of god upsets jonah he didn't want these people to repent and he didn't want God to show his mercy to those people. Jonah preached, but he preached without love. Well, he was he was uh, most probably very glad that God had mercy towards him. But he didn't want mercy for Ninevites. But this book shows how we can be obedient to God, but without love. We seem to be obedient, but we do it without love for him. The first chapter was about Jonah the fugitive. The second chapter was Jonah the penitent. In the third chapter, Jonah does, in the third chapter, Jonah does what he is commanded to, but in his heart, there is no love. He gets irritated. Jonah gets angry when he sees that God has mercy on Nineveh. And this is evidence that he didn't have the right motivation in what he was doing. He wanted them to die. So the first chapter deals with Jonah's heart issues. Let's read the first, uh, the first verse. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly. And he was very angry. Why is the fourth chapter needed at all? After all, the goal has been reached. Jonah preached. What else is needed? Jonah completed his mission. Let's go home. But here God shows an x-ray of Jonah's heart. Why he didn't want to go to preach to the Assyrians. And God continues to work on Jonah's heart. Jonah, you are trying to live your own way again. Verse 2. And he prayed unto the Lord and said, I pray thee, O Lord, was not this my saying, when I was yet in my country, therefore I fled before unto Tarsus. For I knew that thou art a gracious God, and merciful, slow to anger, and of great kindness, and repentest thee of the evil. I knew you like to be merciful, Jonah says. That's why I didn't want to go and preach to Nineveh. I didn't want them to repent. That's what he basically says. Jonah arises theological excuses. Often in theological debates, we are only able to see arguments and not to see people. For Jonah, the Ninevites were a concept, not a people. For God, these are people, not just concepts. Notice that God is giving the number of people here. And should not I spare Nineveh, that, that great city, wherein are more than six score thousand persons that cannot discern between their right hand and their left hand, and also much cattle. Uh, these are most likely little kids, those of whom God says that they can distinguish the right hand from the left. That is, the number must be multiplied approximately five times. The inhabitants of Nineveh forgot were people individuals, not concepts. Many of us may perceive the people around us as statistics of perishing sinners, a demographic trend, but every perishing sinner is a special person, a human being made in God's image and likeness. The value of the human soul for God is great. Jonah, having agreed to preach, still didn't resolve the issue of mercy inside. Yes, he agreed to preach. But he has not yet brought his heart into full harmony with God's heart. Prior to that, he didn't want to preach. That was his problem. Now he has gone to preach, but with the expectation that Nineveh would be destroyed. But God continues to work in his heart. God's purpose... For our sanctification is the transformation of our hearts, that is, our inner world. And when the heart is transformed, this is reflected in external actions, in decisions, in words. For as he thinketh in his heart, so is he, Proverbs 23, 7. God continues to work on our hearts. It's not enough to just bite the bullet and make it over. Maturity is when our heart is brought into harmony with God and when actions of obedience to God come from the heart. And God continues to put us in various circumstances so that we learn to be in harmony with him, so that we imitate him. God provides visual material to Jonah, giving him the shade of a gourd, Then the worm smites the gourd. It dries out. Here Jonah experiences firsthand what it means to be slow to anger. Perhaps at this point, uh, we would expect God to stop and not continue, close the topic and send Jonah home to get some sleep. But God mercifully, God patiently, carefully explains to Jonah his problem, giving him all the same time a visual at the same time a visual aid God loves his servants and shows extraordinary patience incomprehensible to us if we are honest with ourselves and dive into our hearts examining our sinfulness in the light of God's word, God's patience with us is incomprehensible God doesn't say to Jonah you may go home, you did the job see you later God has his purposes which he reaches in our hearts. And we need more lessons. Jonah's story didn't end with his preaching. He needed more. It's very good that Jonah finally obeyed God and went to preach. But there was still an issue. There was still a lot to be plucked out of his heart. When God achieves something in our lives, it doesn't end there. Often this achievement is a cleared area for drilling further to rid us of the dirt that has settled deeper. Amen.